0: what's up guys welcome back to are you okay the podcast um and i can't wait to talk about today's topic which is as promised why we're checking the candy in the first place on halloween What happened but before we get into that it's october i made a big deal about october last episode y'all i did not go get the fair food i am very disappointed in myself i talk a lot of shit during the episodes talking about oh i'm gonna start doing things on my own and blah 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 well the person i texted bailed they left me for some damn crabs somebody one of their friends had some crabs which you know what i guess it's good crabs are always good i would have wanted to eat crabs too but and they asked me if i wanted to eat the crabs but i was like i don't really feel like it because i had my mind made up on eating some fried oreos maybe even some fried fucking ice cream if it was available to me um a corn dog a funnel cake bitch a snow cone i was ready to you know eat everything american eat everything unhealthy for me you know what i mean but it didn't happen um I know I said this weekend I was probably going to try to figure out about those uh, apple spice donuts. I am. I am still going to do that, but it might not be this weekend. But what I will tell y'all that I did do for myself, which was the best $25 I ever spent. Listen, y'all probably going to hear me say this. No, it's not sponsored, bitch. I wish the fuck it was. It definitely ain't sponsored. I don't have nobody listening to this podcast just yet. But if it could be sponsored in the future, I'm here for it. But... I went and got some cookies. Yes, I spent $25 on cookies. But if you haven't heard of this place called Insomnia Cookies, it is so good. And once I ate one, I thought, man, if you got Insomnia, these cookies will definitely put your ass right to sleep. I know these cookies are good because I normally don't like salted caramel stuff. But when I was up there ordering my cookies, like, they have a whole bunch of different kinds of cookies. They got, like, a regular box, which I got the regular box, and I got the specialty box. That's why it was $25, because I got two boxes of cookies. But I figured, okay, I'm never really in the city like this. I'm never really in D.C. that often. I hate driving in D.C. So I figured, okay, if I'm here, I don't know when I'm ever going to come back to this place. Let me just get a bunch, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. So if I knew it was like just around the corner for me, right, I probably would have never got the salted caramel cookie. But I got it, and that shit was delectable. Yo, the cookies, they serve it to you warm. So as soon as I got back in my car, I popped open both boxes. I didn't eat all of the cookies, but I kind of like broke pieces off, you know, each to eat it while it's warm. You want that experience and good soft chewy it was so good and i thought "Mm, if you just had a glass of milk a milliwook milk uh it would have been great but by the time i got home the cookies were cooled off because i live close to dc but um it was probably it takes me probably about like 30 or so minutes to get to dc but by the time i got home it was cooled off, but the shits was still good. So I don't know when I'll ever go back up there to get the cookies again. Um, because also parking in DC is a thing and girl, I had to park in um pretty kind of creep not creepy but sketchy parking lot and i know weed is you know legalized in dc but listen as soon as i got out the car it smelled dank as fuck outside i was like who the fuck out here has the gas who got the pack out here let me just walk and get my cookies let me walk and get my cookies and get back to my car eat some and get the hell on home and as soon as i started driving in dc i kept thinking to myself well actually i was saying yeah, it out loud. get me out Get me off this road. Get me out this city because I hate fucking driving in D.C. If you've been in D.C. before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I hate doing it like the streets are weird. The the lights are off to the fucking side. It's not in the center. My vision is in the center in front of me and the lights are either off to the left or the right. So whatever. And it was confusing. It was confusing. Like, my left turn was basically a U-turn. That's how fucking sharp it was. Anyways, <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> but if you ever get to some of those cookies, get them. I know they're also in Baltimore, but I live closer to D.C. Um, anything else? Anything else I want to update you guys on before you hear me talk about poison candy? Um, I guess, yeah, all month. Since it's October, we're going to do Halloween-themed episodes, of course. Last week, we did an episode about someone whose who's candy was poisoned, which is prompting me to do this episode as, where the fuck did this myth, this whole idea start? So, I'm not reading a story um, this week, but it might be cool to, you know, take a break from the stories every now and then, plus it is 7.15, it's a little dark. And I don't want to be creeping myself out because we already seen me get creeped out in other episodes in the middle of the day because of the fucking noises. All right. So if you've been living under a rock, if your name is Patrick Star, basically the poison candy myths are kind of like urban legends, I guess, of like strangers hiding poisons or sharp objects like razor blades, needles or broken glass in the candy and then distributing it on Halloween to harm children. So these stories today are just like cautionary uh, tales to children and their parents, which is basically just a contamination of the candy. But there are no cases of strangers killing or permanently injuring children this um in this way. So I mean, clearly, but not in this way, not as far as poisoning the candy and shit on Halloween. There's no cases of anyone really killing or permanently injuring any kids in that way. So commonly, the story, these kind of stories always appear in the media when a young child dies suddenly after Halloween. But most of the time, the medical investigations um into the actual death always show that the kids did not die from eating candy given from strangers but in rare cases the family members will spread the story in the effect to sort of cover up any like murders or accidental deaths so basically like if the if the family wants to hide that they either was some suspect shit was going on in a house, and it was after Halloween. They'll try to blame it on, like, well, we went trick or treating in this neighborhood, so it must have been a candy, or if it really was just like an accidental death, you know, they try to blame it on a candy. Um, in other incidents, a child who has been told about poison candy places uh, or like a dangerous object or substance, an Apollo candy, pretends that it was a stranger. So, this is actually called copycat effect. Um, and experts kind of say that the story that um, strangers are putting poison into candy and giving that candy away for trick or treating has been debunked. Um, but the worries of the candy that could be poisoned has led to the rise of alternative events and trick-or-treating, such as events held at churches, at police stations, or fire stations, community centers, and retail stores. So, if you really are a parent out there listening and you are concerned about the strangers, you can go to a community place. Like, I know Walmart used to um, distribute candy all the time. And, um... I mean, I don't know about the churches and the po- and I wouldn't go to the police station, honestly. But I know the fire stations do be handing out candy, too. So you got other options. I mean, I don't know about this year because, like I said, COVID. But there are other options other than walking to random people's houses. So the history behind it is um, these kinds of stories. um, really began to rise during the industrial revolution when food production moves out of home or a local area. Um, So it was made. So before the industrial revolution, all your food was made by people that you knew, people that you trusted. But now it's made by people you don't know using unknown ingredients and machines and different processes. So some doctors publicly claimed that they were treating children that were poisoned by candy every day. So regardless if it was Halloween, they were trying to say that the candy was poisoned because of the new industrial age. So if a child became ill and had eaten candy, then the doctors back then would assume that the candy was the cause, even though there are no cases of illnesses or deaths of that ever being like sustained that that's the reason that the child died from candy. So in the nine in the eighteen nineties and the nineteen hundreds, the um US I hate fucking reading, yo. The US Bureau of Chemistry and other state indices tested hundreds of kinds of candy and found no evidence of poison or adulteration, which to me is just like poison, like they just said. Um, so basically, all that was revealed from these tests was that it was a lot of inexpensive glucose, which is corn syrup, which we all know we can find in cheap candies, and that some of the candies then um contain trace amounts of copper from uncoated copper cooking pans and other and like cold tar dyes that were being used for uh coloring, but there really was no evidence of many types of poison um, industrial waste, garbage, or other alleged things that were claimed to be present. So eventually the claims that children were being sickened by candy were put down to ingestion, indigestion due to overeating the candy. So, you know, people be like, you're getting sick because you're eating way too much candy is way too much sugar or other, uh, causes. Um, so, The history of it is like debunked, but it really started to come out for candy in general during the industrial revolution. So some of the social causes, so these myths of people, I'm not even going to say myths because I guess there are people that do this shit, but like the speculation has really, really made a persistent, um, i'm sorry i'm like trying to sound smart as hell but i don't know why it's my podcast if i want to talk regular like y'all my friends that i'm gonna talk regular anyway basically these these little stories came back up again in the 1960s and in 1970s which if you know that is prime time serial killer time so it's this is just when america was a fucking mess in general So basically, it was also so, you know, serial killer time, but it was a lot of social upheaval. There was greater, there was greater racial integration, improved status for women. And it reflected a lot of questions about who was trustworthy during this time in America, period. So because society was struggling with questions about to trust their neighbors or newly integrated neighborhoods or young women who were publicly rejecting the subservient motherhood focused roles that were previously assigned to women, these stories about unidentifiable neighbors allegedly harming random innocent children during an event. An event intended to bring happiness to these children call and retain the public 's imagination anyway that accurate stories about a judgmental neighbor, an abusive parent, or an adult carelessly leaving harmful chemicals where children can reach them wouldn 't have um, an academic view sees this as an example of rumor panic, so with Halloween developing like a carnival, um, most people that was meant to like relieve social tensions, it kind of lost its functionality because the neighborhoods began to break themselves down because people was just like, you know, they was living that trust nobody mentality. So even though Halloween was meant to be fun, it wasn't really that fun anymore. So effects of that stuff, um, like we said before, due to the fears of parents and communities not being able to trust their neighbors, that's when they really began to do these like trunk or tree events instead of trick or treat events and they held them at churches so um basically people felt safe to trick or treat again um because you could do it at church and or you could do it at a local mall and because um it because you could do it at a mall or like at a church it promoted the sale of individually wrapped Brand name candies and discourage people from giving out homemade treats to children, so now it's like basically what y'all should have been doing all along. I don't, you know, some people get into the Halloween spirit, but I would never, okay, I like Halloween and I like candy and stuff, but I would never think to myself on October 30th or October 29th that you know what, I'm gonna bake me a bunch of cookies and muffins and. Dip apples and caramel and hard candies and serve it to these kids. Fuck no. Go to the store and buy your own. The same way I'm going to. If I want to give out candy, it's going to be fucking wrapped already. Kit Kats or something. So this is something they should have been doing all along. But basically, because of that new upheaval in America, it kind of pushed people to start trick-or-treating not in neighborhoods anymore, but in church and stores and stuff where they had to like, well, I don't even want to say church because you could still make baked goods at church. But like, if you go into a store, they're obviously going to sell you the wrapped candy for Halloween. Well, not sell it, but give it away to you. So, Basically, the candy tampering myth in the modern society. Um, so several events in the 20th century fostered the modern candy day tempering myth. So in 1959, a California dentist named William Shine gave candy coated laxative pills to trick or treaters. He was charged of outrage of public dec- decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. You know, that man lost his fucking life. You know what? He's really dumb. He is really dumb because if he's a dentist, hear me out. If he's a dentist, why is he putting laxative in the, in the candy? Like why is he, hold up. Yeah. Why is he giving them laxative, pills and saying it's candy bitch you're a dentist give out the sugariest candy you can find so that these kids can get some um what do they call them things cavities and then it can be in your chair and you can get your coin you're really dumb like you you're really dumb for that and then in 1964 a disgruntled Long Island New York woman gave out packages of inedible objects to children who she believed were too old to be trick-or-treating Hater, hater, she's a hater. Anyways, <laughs> the packages contained items such as steel wool, dog biscuits, and ant buttons, which were clearly labeled with the word poison. Though nobody was injured, she was prosecuted and pled guilty to endangering children. The same year saw many reports of live filled bubble gum ha- being handed out in Detroit. In rat poison being given in philadelphia although these media reports were never sustained to be actual events oh what hold up wait a minute so we had fake news back then too how y'all gonna make fake news about candy y'all are trying to make us scared of trick or treat for what but if this is true don't be hating like i said in the last episode don't be hating on somebody Who is in high school who still wants to trick-or-treat? Let them live. Another notable milestone in the spread of the candy tampering myths was an article published in the New York Times in the 1970s. This article claimed that those Halloween goodies that children collect this weekend on their rounds of trick-or-treating may bring them more horror than happiness and provided specific examples of potential tamperings. Um, Reports and copycat incidents peaked shortly after the Chicago Tylenol murders, which were first reported one month before Halloween in 1982. This incident involved a murderer who added poison to a few bottles of over-the-counter medication, Tylenol, after the medication had been delivered to the stores. I might have to look into that, but I guess, but see, just like I said earlier, Because it happens around Halloween, they like to associate it with trick-or-treating when in reality, it don't got shit to do with trick-or-treating. And then in 2019, the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission warned that parents should be on the lookout for products that are unsafe for kids after they trick-or-treat, which I want to let it be very clear. I don't do, I don't, I'm not, I don't partake in cannabis or anything like that, but You know, I know people that do, and I'm going to say this, nobody, not a fucking soul, is going to give your kid for free the $40 or $60 edible or whatever the fuck that they just brought. They're not going to be passing out edibles to your fucking kids. You don't got to worry about that. It costs too much money, and they're not about to be giving away something like that to no kids. If a kid gets a hold of an edible, it's because somebody has it and is not being like proactive enough to make sure no kid gets a hold of it but ain't nobody handing out edibles to children i'm gonna just that that needs to be said because ain't nobody doing that nobody gonna waste their hard-earned money on some recreational shit that couldn't be good for them to give to your fucking kid it's not happening so good try massachusetts good try um so debunking the myths. So Joel Best, a sociologist at the University of Delaware, specializes in the scholarly study of candy tampering legends. What? Can you imagine? <laughs> Wait, I, like I wanted to do this episode, but can you imagine like growing up and going to college and being like, you know what? I'm going go to college so that I can study the um, legends of people tampering with candy I mean, look, his study, his findings have me here. His study has me here about to read it. So he definitely contributed to society. But can you just imagine? Anyways, he collected newspaper reports from 1958 to 1983 in search of evidence of candy tampering. Fewer than 90 instances might have qualified as actual candy tampering. So autumn years, damn near. Whoa, What? listen also the last episode i listened to it and i laughed so hard because i glitched like i don't know what the time stamp was on the episode but i glitched hard as fuck like i was trying to say something and it and when i play it back it doesn't sound like english or nothing at all but anyway thank all the year all those years from 1958 to 1983 all those years and maybe fewer than 90 instances. So just to make y'all feel better, it is state the trick or treat. Um, and none of the cases does he attribute the events to random attempts to harm children at the Halloween holiday. So it ain't even happening on Halloween. Instead, most of the cases were attempts by adults to gain financial compensation or far more commonly By children to get attention. So basically, it's either was a parent or somebody trying to tamper with the candy to get some, you know, basically doing insurance fraud, or it was a kid just being a kid doing some dumb shit, you know, trying to like like some like some people when they tell me stories about when they were kids, I'm thinking you were really dumb. Like the people who be sticking coins up their nose, are you stupid? Like, that's what I want to think. Like, how dumb were you as a child? What part of you thinks that a coin belongs in the nose? So I can see most of the cases being kids just doing dumb shit and poisoning themselves. Um, so Best found about five child deaths that were initially thought by authorities to be caused by homicidal strangers, but none of those were sustained by investigation So fabrications by children are particularly common. So basically, kids lie. Um, Children sometimes copy or act out the stories about tampered candy from what they overhear by adding pens to or pouring household cleaners on their candy and then reporting the now unsafe candy to their kids, I mean, to their parents. So basically, like I said, kids doing some dumb shit. They hear these stories. And then they just do it themselves and are like, oh, well, somebody down the street must have poisoned my candy. No, bitch, it was you. So that's far more prevalent. Um, um, Far more prevalent crimes that were being reported in in the time between 1958 and 1983 were vandalism, racist incidents, which child still was happening, or children being injured and pedestrian vehicle collisions on Halloween. So most of the most of the crimes on Halloween were that. And yeah, it's probably very likely that your kid will be hit by a car on Halloween than being poisoned by the candy because we all walking in the dark. We walking in the dark. Um so Miss So some poisoning deaths that were mistakenly said to be um, the cause of Halloween trick-or-treating. So the deaths of five children were initially blamed on a stranger, stranger, poisoning. However, none of these claims were sustained upon investigation. So for example, in 1970, Kevin Thompson, a five-year-old boy from Detroit, area, found and ate heroin his uncle had stashed. The boy died following a four-day coma. The family attempted to protect the uncle, here we go, family's lying, by claiming the drug had been sprinkled in the child's Halloween candy. In 1978, Patrick Reederhold, a two-year-old boy from Flint, Michigan, Flint is in my heart, died after eating Halloween candy. However, The toxology tests found no evidence of poison, and the death was determined to be due to natural causes, which is pretty, it's really sad. He was only two. In 1990, Ariel Katz, a seven year old girl in Santa Monica, California, died while trick or treating. Early press reports blame poison candy, despite her parents telling the police that she had previously been diagnosed with a serious medical condition, an enlarged heart, which was the actual cause of death. So yeah, we had fake news back then. Like what? Why are they trying to push this narrative that people are poisoning the candy? Why are you trying to put fear for no reason if she that's not why she died at all? And the parents are telling you that's not why she died. And then in 2001, a four-year-old girl in Vancouver, British Columbia died after eating some Halloween candy. However, there was no evidence of poison candy. And she actually died of a, I don't know how to say this. So I'm going to say streptococcus infection. I'm going to say her, she has strep. I don't know. And in 1974, I'm so stupid. And in 1974, An eight-year-old boy from Deer Park, Texas, died after eating a cyanide-laced package of pixie sticks. A subsequent police investigation eventually determined that the poison candy had been planted in his trick-or-treat pile by the boy's father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, who also gave out poison candy to other children in an attempt to cover up the murder. Though no other children consumed the poison treats, the murderer who had wanted to claim life insurance money was executed in 1984. In this case, the distribution of poison candy is true, but no other children other than the intended victim were harmed. What? Okay. See, this is what I mean. Like, and and I just watched that documentary about Chris Watts. Some of these dads, like. In my head, I'm thinking, bitch, it's probably better to just be a single mom because some of these dads out here, uh, what you what are you trying to you about to kill your kid for some fucking insurance money? You couldn't just like set your house on fire or some shit. You had to kill your child. Ridiculous. And now the dude, Chris Wasted, if I don't even know why the fuck he did it. He's just stupid. They both stupid, but like, I just don't understand what's the, why is that? Why did you lay down at night or in the shower and contemplate and think of all these ideas and that was the idea you came up with? I'm going to poison my kid on Halloween to get some insurance money. When there's other ways to commit insurance fraud if you really wanted to without anybody dying. I can't. I can't. So let's look at some genuine candy tampering cases and then I might have to call it because it's getting a little too long. So almost all tampering cases at a rate or one of two per year. So involve a family friend or a family member and is usually a prank. Um almost all those involve sharp objects rather than poisoning. Three quarters of them resulted in no injuries and the rest resulted in only minor injuries no child has ever been killed by eating a halloween candy from a stranger like we said most of the time with somebody in the damn house some marijuana edible candy is intentionally manufactured to appear similar to regular candy but it is easily distinguished distinguished from commercially available regular candy concerns have been raised that small children may easily confuse the two St. Louis DEA claims to have found marijuana edibles distributed on Halloween in 2017, but did not and has not presented a case. Because there was there isn't a case. Like, I'm telling you, no one's really distributing shit like that. You know, just to be distributing shit like that. Um, this next section is pretty short, so I'm going to read it really quick. It's just media and the myth. So maybe it is a myth. Maybe... This whole poisoning on Halloween thing is a myth because I don't really see it happening. So anyways, despite these claims of poison candy being eventually proved false, the news media promoted the story continuously throughout the 1980s with local news stations featuring frequent coverage. During this time, cases of poisoning were repeatedly reported based on unsubstained claims claims or before a full investigation could be completed and often never followed up on this one-sided coverage contributed to the overall panic and caused rival media outlets to issue reports of candy tamper- candy tampering as well however joel best our dude that went to college to look up these legends says that the spread of the myth cannot be blamed solely on media and that it must have been transmitted via word of mouth as well. By 1985, the media had driven the hysteria about candy poisonings to such a point that an ABC News slash Washington Post poll found that 60% of parents feared that their children would be injured or killed because of Halloween candy sabotage. Advice columnists entered the fray during the 1980s and 1990s. With both Ask and Landers in Dear Abbey warning parents of the horrors of candy tempering. In recent years, there have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison and taffy apples in Halloween candy. It is no longer safe to let your child eat from treats that come from strangers. That was Ann Landers in 1995. And then somebody's child will become violently ill or die after eating poison candy or an apple containing a razor blade. In De- and that was in Deer Abbey in 1983. Listen, this ain't Snow White. Anybody eating poison apples. Okay? So, you heard it here first. But I know other people covered it. But you've heard it here first that this poisoning the candy myth is a myth. Okay? So, go out trick-or-treat, get your candy, and eat it, okay, because you're going to be fine. Don't eat too much of it, but you're going to be fine. What you need to do is check the people in your house. You don't got to worry about the person down the street. Worry about who's sleeping in the house with you, and don't take candy from people you know. That's the new narrative. Don't take candy from people that you know. You better off taking it from somebody off the street, Um. This episode was pretty long, but, you know, it was important things. We had to get out there. We had to debunk some of the lies that are being told, stowed upon us. Because we can't be living in fear on Halloween. We got nothing to be afraid of of anyway. The costumes. The movies. We don't got to worry about, we can't eat candy. So anyways, I'm going to go. Because it is now almost eight o'clock and i need to get into bed because i gotta work tomorrow and i got streams to watch so i will talk to you guys next week i don't know what i'm gonna do but i am gonna try to work on getting my first guest for the halloween episode so stay tuned but i'll see you guys or you'll hear from me next week bye